patriots and lovers of liberty. This is Jim Cooper, and I'll be your host today on the Holmes Politicast. We have a number of stories to get to, and all of them pretty local, state, and other things. Uh, some scandals and some some things like that. And then uh, if we have a little bit of time left over, we'll talk about some other things. But, but I want to start right off with Newsweek. Newsweek has a story that came out today. It, well, let me just let me just uh, do the uh, let me just give you some context for this. And that is that uh, recently, uh, depending on when you listen to it, it was either yesterday or or in the in the near future or in the in the near past. The CDC has now um, put out some new guidelines about uh, coronavirus or the the Delta variant, saying that. We need to remask, even if you're vaccinated. You need to start wearing a mask again. California, in some parts of California, has already issued another mask mandate. Um, uh, I don't know offhand what other states or what other cities or states are doing mask mandates, but I know that Los Angeles is now got another mask mandate in, in effect. And so anyway, the CDC is now recommending that we all uh, mask up again, even if you're vaccinated. And so Newsweek has this article that says, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer will not restart mask mandate despite CDC recommendations. Okay, and the article reads, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has no plans to reinstate a mask mandate amid the COVID-19 pandemic, despite the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issuing updated recommendations on masks. Whitmer, a Democrat, was one of the first governors to impose a statewide mask mandate during the first wave of the pandemic last year, facing heavy backlash from mostly Republican critics. On Tuesday, Whitmer said that she does not expect to issue another mask mandate following the new CDC guidance recommending that masks be worn indoors regardless of vaccination status in areas where the virulent Delta variant is spreading quickly. I do not anticipate another pandemic order, not in the near future and maybe not ever, Whitmer told reporters on Tuesday. The fact of the matter is, we now know a lot more about this virus. We have vaccines. The best way to stay safe is to get vaccinated. We're really strongly encouraging everyone to do just that. Whitmer wore a mask before and after the press conference where she made the remarks, saying that she is, had done so on the advice of Dr. Joni Khaldun, the state's chief medical executive. The new CDC guidance was issued just after the governor's comments. It was unclear whether the Whitmer's position remained unchanged in light of the guidance. Newsweek reached out to Whitmer's office for comment. The CDC says that the mask should be worn indoors even by those vaccinated in areas with transmission levels that the agency deems high or substantial. While Michigan as a whole is experiencing moderate spread the virus and currently falls short of the mark, three counties in the state already have high enough transmission levels for the About 64% of all U.S. counties currently qualify for the new guidance. CDC also recommends that masks be worn to the Most statewide school mask mandates are with the decision left individual school districts instead. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Dengas was necessary due to the rampant spread of the Delta variant, which is more considerably more contagious. Okay, that's a screw up in the writing, which is considerably more contagious than previous strains and has also been shown since 
She stressed that even vaccinated individuals could transmit the virus, and particularly the Delta variant, to those who may be more vulnerable. However, Walensky said that the country's high transmission rates were still being seen in areas where vaccination rates were the lowest. She said that becoming vaccinated confers a sevenfold reduced risk of contracting the virus and a 20-fold reduced risk of being hospitalized or dying from COVID-19. This moment, and most importantly, the associated illness, suffering and death could have been avoided with higher vaccination coverage in this country, Walensky said. We must take every step we can to stop the Delta variant and end this pandemic. Michigan ended its mask mandates and other COVID-19 restrictions on June 22nd, citing a drop in cases. Last week, the state's GOP-led legislature used an initiative petition process to issue a veto-proof repeal of an emergency powers law that Whitmer had used to impose restrictions last year, which is a good transition to that article for Vox News, which reads, Michigan Governor Whitmer stripped of emergency powers. This is by Peter Aitken of Fox News. Michigan legislatures have stripped Governor Gretchen Whitmer of an emergency power she freely wielded during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the state Senate approved the Unlock Michigan initiative on July 15th. On Thursday, the Republican-controlled State House passed the measure with a 60 to 48 vote largely along party lines. Yesterday was a great day for Michigan, and yesterday was anything but partisan politics. Michigan Congresswoman Lisa McLean told Fox and Friends First on Friday, it was the voice of the people saying enough is enough. Whitmer utilized powers granted by the Emergency Powers of Governor Act of 1945, which allowed her to enact significant health and safety restrictions in the early days of the pandemic. Whitmer faced immense pushback and public protests against lockdowns in April. Armed protesters gathered at the state's capital to demand Whitmer repeal stay-at-home orders. The governor had repelled a similar push to limit her powers in March of 2020, when Senate Bill 1 made its way to her desk. The bill aimed to amend the state's public health code by limiting orders from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to no more than 28 days of effect unless approved by both houses of the state legislature. Unfortunately, epidemics are not limited to 28 days, Whitmer said in a veto letter. We should not so limit our ability to respond to them. The bill would have applied retroactively to all emergency orders issued on or after November 15th, 2020. Interesting, interesting. So there we have two, uh, two um, articles which are very closely tied. Um, let's see, where do we want to go next with this? Um, okay, we're going to go to MLive with an article here about, uh, oh, here it is. Um, Whitmer's blockbuster fundraising was fueled by jumbo donations over the normal limit. And it's written by Emily Lawler for MLive. Governor Gretchen Whitmer 
has raised record break amounts of money in the lead up to her bid for re-election in 2020. But she did it this period with the help of some jumbo donors who were able to give more than the typical legal amount. Michigan campaign finance law caps individuals' donations to candidate, candidate committees. The max is currently $7,100, but Whitmer's campaign appears to be relying on a caveat. In 1984, former Secretary of State Richard H. Austin confirmed 1983 guidance saying contribution limits didn't apply to candidates facing recall, and the executors defend themselves against her. The governor has faced dozens of recalls for trying to protect public health, save lives, and move the state out of the worst public health crisis in history. And we are going to be beating back at the Board of Canvassers in the courts and on the streets as long as necessary, Fisk said. None of the recall efforts appear poised for success at this time, and several of the highest profile have failed to gather enough signatures to make the ballot. But elections attorney Stephen C. Liddell said, the question isn't whether they're serious, it's whether it's an actual recall under the Michigan Campaign Finance Act and election law, which it is. He said that a rewrite of the recall law in 2012 changed how recall elections and related fundraisers work for other officeholders, but left intact much of the mechanics of a gubernatorial recall and thus seemingly the 1984 declaratory ruling. The existence of recent recall efforts against Whitmer paved the way for a boon in large donations to her candidate committee. Overall, Whitmer raised $8.6 million in the January 1st, July 20th reporting period, a huge haul that outperformed previous officeholders, and also put her raised this cycle at $14 million which is $1 million more, $1 million more than she raised for her entire 2018 campaign. Of the contributions Whitmer collected this period, fewer than 1% were above what would otherwise be a limit of $7,100. But the huge numbers from individuals who gave more than that, some individuals gave up to $250,000, mean that those jumbo contributions account, uh, these, mean those jumbo contributions account for close to 44% of the money she raised. This explosive growth is in large part made possible because of this caveat, said Michigan Campaign Finance Network Executive Director Simon D. Schuster of the large contributions. By his preliminary calculations, Whitmer would have brought in 5.9 million instead of 8.6 million if those large donors had instead given the typical maximum of $7,150. Money from smaller individual donors, meanwhile, was plentiful, but didn't make up a huge part of the total. Small donors giving $100 or less, 91.6% of her contributions, but, this, but less than 15% of the total amount of money. Some of the biggest dollar supporters included out-of-state donors, like Governor J.B. Pritzker of Illinois, and Colorado-based philanthropist Patricia Stryker from the family that founded the Stryker Corporation in Kalamazoo. Each of those two gave $250,000. Other big donors were some of her biggest supporters generally. Her father gave $60,000, and Michigan campaign finance law doesn't subject immediate family members to any limit on donations. Business people with ties to the Lansing area where she has long-established roots, also chipped in at amounts greater than 
$7,150. Developer Scott Chappelle gave $10,000, and Boji Group CEO Ron Boji gave $10,000 as well. As far as spending goes, the report shows she spent a total of $1.4 million, $48,889 of it on legal services related to recall efforts. She has $10.7 million in cash on hand. Whitmer far outraised the Republicans vying to challenge her. However, most Republican candidates got in part in part way through the fundraising period. More candidates may still enter. And retired Detroit Police Chief James Craig got into the race too recently to have to file the reports. The highest raising Republican was Garrett Soldano, a Kalamazoo area chiropractor who gained statewide name recognition when he organized opposition to our pandemic orders. He raised just under $625,000. Um, uh, I'm just going to, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm going to deviate for a second on an article about Garrett Soldano. And it's also from the MLive. And this is back from April when he announced he was running. So, uh, Garrett Zolano, this is the line, he's not opposing Governor Wittes. Now he's running for governor himself. This is also by Emily Lawler. A year ago, Garrett Saldano invited his house. But after a year plus, after, but after a year plus of living under public health orders, connecting with people all over the state, he officially launched his bid for the office on Wednesday. It was a group he started, missionaries against excessive quarantine. They would end up putting Soldano on that path. I never had any interest in politics, never had any desire. Whoever took away our constitutional freedoms, our sacred values, and our citizens' rights last year on April 9th, I started that Facebook group, which grew, as you all are well aware, to 400,000 people in four weeks. And at that time, we noticed and realized that we had a movement, Soldano said in an interview Wednesday. Facebook would later shut the group down, according to media reports. Soldano then co-founded Stand Up Michigan, a group that protested the restrictions at events across the state and advocated for the Unlock Michigan petition that seeks to repeal a 1945 law Whitmer issued pandemic orders under before the Michigan Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional last year. Whitmer, and later her appointees at the head of the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, issued a number of orders designed to stop the spread of the coronavirus. At various times, they shut down businesses and schools, limited gatherings, and required people to stay in their homes. Currently, the orders restrict capacity at businesses like restaurants and stadiums and put limits on gatherings between households. In the process of opposing the orders, Saldano connected with people all over Michigan and, after a lot of reflection, decided to run for governor. I've been around the entire state this whole past year talking to thousands and thousands of Michiganders and hearing their stories and hearing how the governor's lockdowns affected their families, canceling their kids' experiences, diminishing their opportunities, diminishing their dreams. And as I started to consider what level of office I was going to hold, I just really reflected on all those stories, and I really weared that thought of the people in the state of Michigan, and I really feel I can do the biggest impact, he said. Soldano grew up in Onstead, which he describes as a small little country town southeast of Jackson in Lenawee County. He played football for Western Michigan University before graduating and signing on as a free agent with the Chicago Bears. 
it ended quickly, and he went from being an NFL athlete to living with his parents and working construction jobs. He went to a school to be a chiropractor because he wanted to help people, he said, and became a small business when he started Saldano Family Care Chiropractic Center in Kalamazoo. He lives in southwest Michigan with his wife and their children. Former President Donald Trump was among his inspirations to run for office, Saldano said, citing him as a leader who ran and won office without having previously been a politician. Uh, any man that basically puts his life on hold and puts America first has my respect, Soldano said. According to his campaign, he raised $125,000 from donors shortly after announcing his campaign. Uh, the other contenders who have registered to run so far in the Republican primary include Austin Chenge, Bob Scott, Ryan D. Kelly, and Ralph Rebant. Republicans have courted several candidates with previous experience and b big political names, but none have so far entered the race. Uh, Democrats and Republican candidates technically have until April of 2022 to file the required paperwork to run for the position. However, most candidates launch campaigns a year before the election is set to occur. So anyway, that's a uh, little information there about campaign. Um, right now, uh, because of fundraising, it looks like Saldano would be the nominee. But we have to see I mean, what can happen in the next year. It's virtually guaranteed Whitmer be the nominee. I don't know if anybody running against her. And even if they did in the primary, she is in a position to win the primary contest. So that one is, is a given. The Republican one, it could have been flow right now. Saldano seems to be the, I don't know what they call, prohibitive frontrunner. He's raised more money. And so um, so at the moment, he seems poised. Like if, if the election was held today, I think he would win the, the primary, the nomination. But there's still some time. And there is the possibility some other bigger names might jump into the race at some point. Um, they haven't ruled it out. Uh, people like John James has not yet ruled out a gubernatorial bid. Um, Ronna McDowell or whatever her name is, the woman in charge of the Republican National Committee, has talked about running and she has not made a decision either way. And for some for reasons that nobody understands, some people are trying to get Betsy DeVos to run for governor, which would be an absolute disaster for Republicans. But um, so uh, anyway, um, so those are a little bit about the candidates. Um, she's raised, as you know, as I just said, she raised a ton of money and he's raised quite a bit. So we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, this is from The Hill and it says Michigan State Representative reports spending campaign money at a strip club. This is by Dominic Mastrangelo. Um, and, uh, this one is a little, uh, I don't know, kind of annoys me a little bit. His attitude annoys me. A state representative of Michigan spent campaign money at a strip club as part of a, quote, constituent meeting, unquote, according to a new report. State representative Jewel Jones, a Democrat, spent $221 of his campaign money at a gentleman's club in the Detroit suburb of Dearborn, Dearborn in March during the meeting, which was described as one to discuss potential economic projects, according to the news. When a reporter at the Detroit News contacted Jones, 
the lawmaker described the Pantheon Club, where the meeting took place, as a lounge. And he explained he was not sure what kind of establishment the club was. We have to meet people where they are at sometimes. Holla, Jones said in a subsequent text message to the newspaper before adding the club had great lamb chops. That's, let me just stop there. That's kind of what bothers me. On one hand, he claims he didn't know what kind of club it was. And now he's almost bragging, you know, that, um, and making fun of it, you know. Well, you got to meet people where they're at, and then, oh, but, but they have great lamb chops. Anyway, oh, and it gets better. Jones, uh, uh, Jones was arrested in April following a separate incident in which he drove his black Chevy Tahoe in and out of lanes along the state highway before crashing into a ditch. The news reported that when police officers responded to the scene, Jones told them he'd call the governor and that he had oversight of the Michigan State Police budget. The Democrats spent more than $6,400 at events dubbed meetings at various lounges and restaurants from January 1st to July 20th, according to his campaign finance statements, which were filed on Monday. Um, it doesn't say ex where he is a representative from. Like if this was a Michigan one, it would say, you know, Jewel Jones of whatever county or whatever. Um, I assume it must be in the Detroit area because he was, or in Dearborn, because that's where he was meeting people and the Detroit News was covering him. So I assume he's over in that area. Um, this guy needs to lose his job. And not just because of the $221 he spent at a strip club of his campaign money, um, which is against the law. The campaign money is very specific, campaign finance laws. If you're taking money from the public, then there are restrictions. You can't use that money for your own personal gain. It's, it's very, very strict. Uh, you know, like, there, uh, it's, just, it's just very, very strict. Like, you can't use that money to pay your bills. You can't use your money. It's got to be campaign-related. Even, I, I don't know how far it goes, but but it's if you'd have to have a lawyer because, you know, like I, I might be able, if I was running for office, I might be able to use some of those for a meal because I have to eat, but I don't know because that's not a campaign expense. Same thing, like if I wanted to buy a new suit, Maybe it might be construed to say that I need a suit to run for office, but not necessarily. You know, it's very, very strict. You know, like that money has to be used for advertising. It has to be used for flyers or ads or to rent a venue or, you know, but I, I couldn't use campaign funds that I'm getting from other people to have a catered buffet for all of my supporters, you know or to go into a bar and buy drinks for everybody, those aren't considered campaign expenses. And so the law would look at that as, I'm, I embezzled that money. That money was given to you by your supporters to help your campaign, not to, not to help your friends, not to make you popular, not, to, um, not for you to profit off of. In fact, former Vice President Mike Pence got into trouble when he was running for the House uh, years ago in the 90s, I think it was, 
because he used some campaign finance because he quit his job to run for office. He was not rich when he when his first campaign, and he quit his job in order to run full time for the house. But he spent some of his campaign money to pay his mortgage because he didn't have any money coming in, personal money, and so that became a huge deal because um, because he used some of that money for his own benefit to pay his mortgage instead of using it for campaign financing. And I, you know, it, it's kind of a tough one for me because by doing that, you almost ensure that a person has to be independently wealthy to run for office. Because if you work at Taco Bell or if you work in a factory, you can't afford to quit your job to run for office because you're renting or you have a mortgage you have to pay. And, and you can't, if you can't use that money on yourself, like to buy toothbrushes and, you know, and, and things like that, you know, to buy things for yourself, then how are you going to pay your bills? And, and even sometimes you may be able, like I said, you may be able to work it so you can buy your own meal, but you can't buy meal for your family. Your family's not running for anything. So you couldn't take your family out to dinner. It would only be for you, you know, so it almost makes it so you have to be independently wealthy to run for office. Um, because you you have to have money either sitting in the bank that you can use for your own expenses or you have to have money coming in. Like if you're a, a governor running for president, you know, you have a salary coming in from your governor's pay while you're running around the country and you can buy everything with your governor's expenses. And then, you know, the campaign can pay for your hotel room or your venue and all that. And so, you know, but someone like myself, or like any of you uh, decided to run for office, um, it would be very difficult for you to be able to take time out of your work. You wouldn't have the money to be able to spend a year or two traveling around the state or traveling around the country to run for an office because you can't you can't afford to take that time off. You would lose your home. You would lose, you know, um, you wouldn't have any money coming in. And then once the campaign was over, if you lost, you would be completely broken busted. You would have no money after the campaign was over. So in that sense, I don't like that idea. But at the same token, if you had it so that you could line your own pockets, then you would have every grifter and con artist in town who just runs for office just to line their own pockets. I don't care if I win or not because I get, I'm get i getting all this money. I can get millions of dollars and I can spend it on whatever I want to. I can become rich just running for office. I have no intention of actually trying to win, so I'm just really conning my – I'm just conning these, uh, my, these, uh, these supporters into, into mooching off them and I'm just living off of them making money and they're paying all my bills and buying cars for me and, you know, and, and I'm getting a paid vacation to go around and, you know, and getting to do all these things. And, you know, like if you're running for president, you know, I get to go to New York, I get to go to California, I'll get to go to Florida, I can go to Disney World, I can go, you know, all around the country and, and my supporters will pay for it. And then, then I don't win. And, now, great, I just go back to my own life and I have all this money in my pocket. I bought my own house with that money and I, you know, now I'm independently, maybe not wealthy, but I'm, I'm well off. You know, I've paid for all my cars, I've paid my house off, I've, you know, um, 
I don't have I paid off my credit card bills, I paid off everything, so now I'm I'm all set, you know. So I I understand why they do it, but it, it the unintended consequences that only powerful or wealthy people or celebrities, which I guess would be wealthy, can run for office. Um, unless they just minimalize. You know, if they just say, I'm gonna get rid of my house and I'm just gonna commit to traveling around. You know, um, you know, or or something like that. I mean, I I, I don't know. I'm not, I've not given them a thought, but that's that's the problem I have. It's the I'm double-minded on the issue. On one hand, I don't think that the money should be spent should only be spent on campaign things because you have bills that you have to pay, and you have responsibilities. If you're married, you have responsibility. Uh, if you're a man, to take care of your family, your wife, your kids, you can't just leave them to try to, you know, leave your wife to try to make the house payment while you're gallivanting around the country, you know. Um, but at the same time, every every grifter is going to come out of the woodwork and out of underneath every rock, you know, to run for office just because they can become extremely wealthy if they could get paid. So. Kind of double-minded, but that part isn't the part that really annoys me. Although it, it does, um, I'm also just annoyed with his attitude. Um, I don't like the holla that he says there. I just think that's kind of like a call out to, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of this gangster kind of attitude, you know, of uh, used to see in raps, you know, like just look at me living the high life. Um, you know, I'm out at strip clubs and I'm, you know, and then, and then just kind of mocking it with, you know, <clears throat> I don't know what kind of place it was at. They have great lamb chops. That's all I know. You know, like you didn't notice the pole and, and the strippers, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're just so committed to, you know, like really is a strip club the best place to have meetings. And I, I imagine that the guys are probably pretty, uh, distracted if you're trying to have meetings in a strip club. I don't know how much work you're going to get done there. But then this this is what really bothers me. Uh, when he was arrested for driving ridiculous, and then when, when, when he was arrested, threatening the officers and telling them that, you know, he could call the governor and have them, you know, have their badges and that he had oversight of the Michigan State Police. And if they don't let him go, he's going to cut their budgets and all that. I, I just, he's just acts too entitled to me. And he should be. Um, removed, I think, from office. Uh, so remember that name, Jewel Jones. He needs to go. I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to find out more information about him later. Uh, maybe we'll do an expose on him if I have time next week. We'll see. Uh, this is um, a lot of people around the country are doing stories about Michigan, it looks like. A group of Michigan lawmakers used coronavirus relief funds for $65,000 in bonuses. Uh, let me just say, this is one thing that um, uh, we warned about. Oh, I, I actually, I honestly don't know if I talked about it on this show. I know I've talked about it with many people um, privately, that this, this, this relief fund should have been given back to the people um, because it wasn't all used. 
um, this money that Biden had set, up, set forth for each state, it wasn't entirely used by each state because by the time Biden got into office and got this stuff passed, the worst of the pandemic was already over. Like that stuff would have been prudent back last year when Trump was in office um, to help the help the schools and help these businesses that had to shut down. But by the time Biden got into office, many businesses were already starting to reopen and people were getting vaccinated and stuff. So they gave all that money to the states and the states couldn't use them. And in fact, I told you a couple of weeks ago that Governor Whitmer wants to use a portion of that money to um, redo many of the state parks uh, because they, they just have so much money now from from the federal government that they can't use because the schools don't need them, businesses don't need them. And this is one of the consequences of giving government a ton of money. And and here we are. Lawmakers in a Michigan county are vowing to return $65,000 in bonuses they gave themselves using federal coronavirus relief funds. During a July 15th public meeting, the Shiawassee County Board of Commissioners voted to approve hazard pay for elected officials and county employees who worked through an ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. But after public criticism and a determination from the county's top prosecutor that the payments to elected officials were illegal, the board later backtracked on part of the plan. A press release from the board posted on a local Facebook page said confusion about the nature of these funds has run rampant and that commissioners would give their bonuses back. The commissioners deeply regret that this gesture has been misinterpreted and have unanimously decided to voluntarily return the funds to the county pending additional guidance from the state of Michigan, the press release said. According to the Associated Press, the Board of Commissioners gave $557,000 in hazard pay to 250 county employees, including $65,000 that went to the seven county commissioners all of whom are Republicans. The money came from federal relief aid dispersed through the American Rescue Plan Act, which was intended to help communities rebound from the pandemic. The board awarded bonuses as small as $1,000 to $2,000, but the commissioners received payments between $5,000 and $25,000, the AP reported. I think that I earned it, said Commissioner Cindy Garber, who received a $5,000 payment. I work really hard at this job. I was here in person all through that crazy year. God, Cindy Garber, fired. Get rid of her. I think I earned it. Um, but at least one commissioner said she didn't realize she was giving herself a bonus when she voted for the plan. Oh, yeah. I'm giving the money back, Commissioner Marlene Webster said. I think one commissioner is giving it to a nonprofit, so those actions indicate that we truly did not know this money was coming to us. Uh, yeah, you didn't really know. Um, yeah, anyway, fire them all. This just goes to show that corruption is nonpartisan, or it's bipartisan. I just told you about the Democrats, and now here's the Republicans stealing money. And that's what's really, really aggravating about this one, is the Republicans are always talking about limited government and making sure that the taxpayers get tax cut breaks, they need that money. Government shouldn't have it, and then here they are, taking it for themselves, money that should have gone to the people.
I think I earned it. Um, that woman, at least, at least Marlene Webster pretended that she had no idea, you know, and said, I'm going to give it back. I had no idea it was coming to me. Um, uh, Cindy Garber, um, you know, just straight up, it's mine. I deserved it. Um, among those who received a COVID-19 bonus was Shiawassee County Prosecuting Attorney Scott Corner, who said he began looking into the payments after he received his bonus. Corner said he was not involved in a plan to award hazard pay to county employees and officials and was never asked to provide a legal opinion on it. On Friday, about a week after the payments were approved, Corner issued a statement saying the bonuses for elected officials violated a provision of the Michigan Constitution that barred any extra compensation for public officers and contractors after services had already been rendered. There you go. It's right there in the Constitution. Like any other hardworking employee anywhere, I appreciate being considered for recognition of a job well done, Corner said in the statement. But as an elected official, I knew what my salary would be when I ran for office. Not only am I not entitled to this money because of the Michigan Constitution, but me giving the money back is just the right thing to do, he added. Corner said that all of the county's elected officials, as well as county administrator Dr. Brian Boggs, had agreed to return their hazard payments. Corner added that he hoped the county's frontline employees would still be able to benefit from the bonuses. They are the ones who deserved it. So here he says they've all agreed to give it back, but is that applied to uh, Miss, I think I earned it, Cindy Garber? Um, so I don't know, but I hope they all have to give it back or go to prison, Miss Garber, for embezzling from the taxpayers. Um, yeah, this is... Corner, of course, is a lawyer, so uh, I don't know. I'm not going to call him a liar, but uh, but he makes being a lawyer. He knew exactly how to word it to make it sound uh, pretty decent. Um, you know, makes it sound like he's not a jerk. This is just this is just pathetic. I mean, you know, this is what happens when you just give tons of money to a group and says you do whatever you think's best with it. You know. Um, you know, obviously they think the best thing to do with it was to line their own pockets. Uh, just absolutely pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. When they passed this, you know, uh, Marlene Webster said, we didn't realize that we were giving ourselves a bonus. Where did you think it was going when you passed it? You didn't, you didn't bother asking any questions about where the money's going. It just said, oh, we're going to give money to people. Oh, okay. What people? Who's getting it? How, how is this being allocated? You know, she had to have known that this money was going to them because it would have said something in the bill. It would have said who the money is going to. It's not just going to say we're giving the money to whoever, you know, whoever gets it. You know, it wouldn't have said it's going to a secret body that you'll find out after it passes. You know, it, it, would, have, it would have had some language indicating where that money is going. Here she says she thought we were giving it to a nonprofit. At what point, where, what nonprofit was it going to be going to? It would have it would have stipulated that in the bill that they signed. It would have said, "This money is going to St. Jude's, so or this money is going to the Boys and Girls Club of America, or something." It, you know, it's not going to be vague. Um, and so even the uh, even this lawyer, the uh, county prosecutor, said that when he looked, he could see that. It was unconstitutional. 
so they're lying. They're lying. They thought they could get away with it until it was recorded, and now they're all acting innocent. Well, except for Cindy Garber. I can't stand now. Or in whatever, Jewel Jones or whatever his name was. Um, I just, both of them, their attitudes are just too much. Thinking that, because forgetting that they're servants, thinking that they're somehow masters over everybody because they're in government. We deserve treatment because we're, uh, we're elected. You know, why should we give it to doctors and nurses when I have to come into work every day? Anyway, I'm not sure what. Anyway, I just stop. I'm not even gonna keep going. It just makes me so mad. Um, just real quick, the last thing is not a uh, not local, but it's just something that I wanted to talk about real quick. It's from Fox News. It's in Texas. There was a special election uh, last night. And Jake Elzey wins Texas special election over Trump-backed Susan Wright. The race was considered by some as a referendum on Trump's influence in the GOP electorate. Anyway, this was, I uh, just wanted to comment on this. I saw a little about this earlier today. Uh, a lot is being made about this because Trump, uh, Trump endorsed Susan Wright in this 6th Congressional District runoff election. And he, she was running against this guy named Jake Elzey. And I'm not exactly sure um, uh, why Trump chose her to endorse, but she was very unpopular. And it was a special election. And so anyway, this guy lost. Um, so... Uh, <clears throat> He sent out robocalls, and one of the robocalls that uh, he sent out was, quote, Hello, this is your hopefully all-time favorite President Donald Trump. I'm asking you to go out and vote for a great Republican, a great woman, Susan Wright. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, a lot of people were making a deal that this was his first test of power in his post-presidency because he endorsed this woman. And then she went on to lose quite handily. To this man, well, uh, this is not an indication. I just want to make that clear that I, I, I don't. I think Trump's influence is overrated. But having said that, in this particular case, Susan Susan Wright was not a. Uh, she was kind of projecting uh, um, in the special election election to succeed him. He was very popular, and. So she really didn't campaign, and especially after Trump endorsed her, she figured she had the election locked up. So her opponent was out there campaigning constantly, meeting with people, really fighting for the seat, and he won. So I just, I just, I just want to make that clear because you're probably going to hear from a lot of uh, pundits who say this just shows that um, Trump has no power. Trump's actually the antithesis. If he endorses a candidate, they're going to lose. That's not – we're going to know more in 2022 because this was a special election, which is not indicative of – you know, she was a really horrible candidate, and, um, <clears throat> and Trump wasn't able to save her. Just like when Trump endorsed Roy Moore, who 
was accused of, uh, I don't know, child molestation or something or dating teenage girls. I don't know what it was. But anyway, he endorsed him and he lost. Well, uh, you know, that's the candidate. That wasn't it wasn't Trump's endorsement that killed him. You know, um, he killed himself because of his actions. So you know, he committed political suicide. So anyway, um, that's our show for today. And I will hope you all have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.